Welcome back to the, I, I've lost track of the weeks, Andy, but the bottom oh, line is that this is our weekly security sprint. Weekly. Right, so, I mean, we do it weekly. So why even count them anymore? It, you're right. It, it's here every week. For those who want to listen to listen, here we are. Happy Monday to you, Dave. Uh, happy Monday to you, Andy. And I'm glad you're here and you didn't fall into any romance scams with Valentine's Day, but um, but I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you too. And, and, and happy George Washington's birthday holiday recognized on this 20th of February day, founder. Do you want to get this just out of the way? Just do you want to explain this? Like this is a sprint, Andy. We got a time limit here. So, but do you want to go into really quickly tell everyone why you're so adamant about George Washington? I mean, I mean, I mean it's pretty simple. I appreciate your access. <laughs> so, in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where I've I've grown up most of my life and lived most of my life, at the federal level, the United States government and most states um, recognize today as George Washington's birthday, and some folks from Another state, which I won't name by name, but it houses Chicago, wanted to corrupt George Washington celebration by intermingling other presidents. And hey, there's a lot of great presidents when yeah. it comes down to it today. We're not celebrating Millard Fillmore. We're not celebrating Andrew Johnson. Personally, I'm not celebrating George W. Bush. I'm celebrating George Washington, our first president, Virginia's first son, really founded the presidency, established a remarkable precedent. It's a celebration of George Washington. So for all those that like to say President's Day, including the county in which I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia this morning, much to my chagrin, today is George Washington's birthday for the vast majority of us, except for a few selected states, which, you know, have other intentions. You know, I never understood I, I never understood it because it was it was Washington's birthday, then it was Washington Lincoln's birthday, I think, for even a period like they wanted to, to cram Lincoln in there as if he didn't have enough already. Um, and then they just made it President's Day. But Andy, I think you make a very compelling argument. Why, why hey, look, if your birthday's in November, why would you want to have it just forced upon you as President's Day in um, in February. I, I don't know. I, I think you're, this is a hill Andy will die on. As long as I've known Andy for uh, over 25 years now, uh, this is what he, he's always been here. And as a Florida, as a former Virginia Commonwealth member, as well as born in Virginia, I can appreciate your love of George Washington and all things Mount Vernon. So with that, Andy, I'm glad you got that off your chest and 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 happy George Washington's birthday for uh, 95% of you and President's Day for the other 5% because we don't want to exclude anybody here. But this is a security sprint podcast where we go through topics as fast, you know, not as fast as we can, but we want to call out these topics in a rapid succession to get through as many as you can um, to call out some of the areas that you may not have paid attention to, or you may have missed in your security readings, or give you a different perspective of something that you really want to think about as you go through it. We do two rounds, and then we have an open forum at the end. So Andy, I'm going to, let's go start it off with round one. And I've gone last, uh, first, the last couple of times. So I'm going to defer to you on George Washington's birthday to go with you first. I appreciate that. It's very, very generous of you, Dave. So look, this, this is a big topic that I'd like to talk about for a minute. I'll move to some other things faster, but I think it's a good one because it really touches on a lot of interesting points. And that's the announcement that came out last week on the 15th of February from Twitter that they an update on SMS notification, uh, two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication for Twitter users. And in short, uh, they're transitioning to only having two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication for Twitter Blue subscribers starting later this year. And that that started a whole series of conversations. There's you know, those that object to everything that Elon Musk, you know, puts out because they're, uh, you know, not supporters of Elon Musk. 
there's those that are opposing it because they like the idea that you know MFA security should be baked in and at no cost to users. And there's those that are supportive of the idea. I think that's the minority. But I think it brings up a really interesting discussion on one, highlighting and, and, and adding to the conversation on are you using MFA? And two, who does pay for security, right? So two really important ideas, I just pause on for a minute. I wanna, I wanna highlight a couple of references. We'll include more in the show notes, a couple of good summaries. We'll share the link to the Twitter announcement itself. Uh, TechSpot and Bleepin Computer also provided good overviews of this and two really, really, really good Twitter threads. One from Rachel Toback, who I'm excited to say I'll be interviewing uh, for the Gifting Podcast later this month. She's an exciting individual, lots of great ideas, great discussion on this point. And also from Sister Director Jen Easterly, who references Rachel's post and also adds some additional commentary and provides a really balanced perspective on this. So we'll share links for all of those. Strongly encourage you to read all of those, understand this in its bigger context. But, but back to the point, one of the things that Jenny really highlights is, hey, one good thing about this is getting people talking about MFA, and that's a win, right? And that's a win. But what it really comes down to is, for me, Dave, is who does pay for security, right? Twitter costs money to run. MFA is, is a, a feature that's being added in. It takes infrastructure, it takes things to make that work, right? Somebody has to pay for it. So is it, is it advertisers? Is it, is it users? Who should handle that responsibility? That's an interesting discussion. I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, transparently, Gay15 and myself personally both, you know, pay for our Twitter Blue accounts. I think it's important to pay for the things that you use uh, personally. And so I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with having uh, the feature, uh, you know, tied into that. At the same time, right, we want to make security as easy to use for all users. And so adding a layer of cost kind of messes that up a little bit, right? Because now it's saying you've got to pay for this when really you want everybody to have this. It's just part of how they do everything, right? So I'm a little mixed on it. I think I lean to this should be baked into all Twitter accounts as just a, a part of having a Twitter account. Not only should it be encouraged, it should probably be mandatory for all those accounts. But with that, Dave, let me stop and hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think you covered it really well, Andy, and I, I kind of did pick up on this rather later in the process. Uh, I, I saw Jen, uh, Sissa Jen's uh, post, um, and I started reading into it. Look, I, I do agree, Like, and if you listened to the podcast before, uh, any of our podcasts, if you read any of our stuff, we're big supporters of MFA. It sounds like an inconvenience, but really, once you get into it, it really should be part of your security foundation. Um, really strong advocates of that. Um, I do tend to side on the fact that um, I think organizations do have a responsibility if you're going to protect data that you need to be able to lend to and create the conditions where users are going to engage in this practice. Um, that said, you know, it is, I recognize it is a slippery slope. I mean, this is, you know, if you're, I think there's, you, you know, we can't just, everything can't just be free. I mean, if yeah. we're going to want that level of protection and level that security, I think within reason, this there should be some expectations that we have to pay a little bit for that. I think we do that on our personal computers. You know, we apply antivirus activities, or we probably, you know, do other types of uh, computer monitoring on a on an individual level. We're happy to do that. I think if there's the right price point for that, I think that. That I don't think it's wrong to ask for a little bit of money to 
to apply a certain condition or just simply don't use it. You know, I think this is just where it comes down to on it or, you know, don't complain about it either. You know, don't complain if you have individuals who hacked my account and did all these other things, because that's where we get into with this. I think it's an easy excuse. And I think Twitter's responding to some of that. And they're saying, hey, look, you know, it, we, we want to get rid of the people who say things here and then try to walk back against it. And 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 now we're applying this MFA rule to it, and, and so I do think that there is uh, a balance act to it. It's not a simple, uh, straight answer, but um, I definitely feel like any more attention we can bring to MFA is a good uh, news story, and and it is something that we should seriously consider. So I, I'm kind of on the line about it as well, Andy. Yeah, it's a tricky one, but I think you know it's it's a good time to reflect on on well one thought and one separate but related thought. So. One, anytime we bring up the topic of, of MFA, it's a good reminder to say, hey, it should be on everything, right? And, and I, I still stumble across accounts of mine where I'm like, oh man, I, I just realized I didn't have 2FA or MFA turned on to that. I saw that with my, a few months ago, I with my home mortgage. I didn't, I realized I didn't have that turned on with uh, one of my credit cards. I didn't have that turned on. And so as I find those couple outliers, I'm making sure to get that activated as fast as possible to companies who might be listening. Hey, you should make that easy, right? There's some, 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 sometimes it's hard to figure out how to do that. Um, it's not as, as evident as it should be. It should be either mandatory for accounts or strongly encouraged and very visible to make it easy for users to find and activate, right? But for us personally, we should be looking for that for everything that we use, right? Just turn it on. It's, it's a simple step, sometimes often almost a no step, you know, type, type thing to do. It takes a second and it makes you so much more secure. So a good, good reminder for all of us to double check our accounts, triple check our accounts and turn that on. And then again, going back to your point, Dave, on sort of everything costs money, right? So I mean, I mean candidly, people reach out to us at Gate 15 and they, they want free workshops or they want free analysis. And it's like, hey, I'd love to help you out. But at the same time, you know, we're running a business and that that costs money, right? And so yeah, yeah. You know, for whether it's Twitter or any other organization that's trying to do good work, right? There's a lot of folks that sort of have an expectation that something should be free for them. And and at the end of the day, somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's working, there's infrastructure, there's time, there's human resources, there's a lot of things that go into making something work. Somebody's got to pay for that, right? So just something to consider as we consider whether we want to pay for certain services or not. But Dave, I think I'll hold there to get into an important topic. We'll share some some of those links I mentioned. And I really check out those two Twitter threads from Rachel and Jen Easterly. Good, good thoughts and perspective from both of them there. So Dave, over to you, sir. Yeah, no, I, again, I encourage you to get out and read some more about this. And again, if you go to those Twitter accounts or the, some of the links in the pod, uh, in the show notes, we'll, we'll make sure you get there. But, but definitely start engaging in this discussion. It's really important. All right. So my round one, Andy, I appreciate yours. But my round one, I'm going to go back to a, a, a speech that uh, FBI Director Chris Ray had last week at the uh, 2023 Homeland Security Symposium and Expo down at Christopher Newport University, speaking of all things Virginia. Uh, want to call out because this is these are really important. He does a lot of these engagements and the FBI does a lot of public, uh, they do publish a lot of his speeches uh, word for word. If you're looking for things to like, what should I focus on? Where are my threats? What are some of the emerging areas? These are really good areas to look at because he goes down and talks about some of the FBI priorities. And if you cascade those down, you should be able to say, okay, if the FBI is worried about this, should I also be worried about it? Let's have the discussion and review. But I do want to call out a couple things here 
you know, he talks about a couple of things and, and I'm going to, you know, give a little bit of a uh, behind the curtain for what my topic number two is. But, you know, he talked about a couple of things. One bad actor targeting a single supply chain can cause cascading effects across multiple sectors and communities. One unpatched vulnerability can mean the difference between business as usual and a scramble to get scores of systems back online. And really, he really focused on there's no line really that says, hey, you know, flashing red lights or, or or bright lights that say, you know, that that distinguish between where cyber criminal activity ends and and where maybe uh, hostile government activity begins. They they both, you know, it it really convolutes and confuses the landscape. But if you go back to those core areas, it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. It's they, they both exploit the same type of things. But he goes on to talk about we're seeing blended threats where, you know, the Iranian government has sponsored cyber criminals for perpetuated attacks to gather intelligence or gain access. We know those to be, you know, using third parties again to uh, do that. Russia has done that consistently over the years, and China has done that as well. Uh, in other instances, hostile governments have attempted to make their cyber attacks look like criminal activity, which has caused whole operations to go sideways. So there's a lot of confusion in this space. But it, the bottom line is the, the same risks apply. If you have a vulnerability, somebody is going to go after it, whether it's for a hostile nation uh, purposes or whether it's a competitor, uh, a hacker who's trying to gain access to your data, any sort of any sort of group. He also talked about China. And, and again, this is a lot in the news lately. There's a lot of things going on around China that, you know, recently the Secretary of State uh, had some uh, elevated discussions there. There's discussions with China's involvement, possibly supporting Russia in the Ukraine effort. So there's a lot of things there. But again, when you look at uh, China, and again, calling out some of the potential risks that organizations may have, Chinese government hackers have stolen more of our personal or corporate data than all other countries, big or small, combined. Um, and, and I think that's just really where we have to keep our eyes open. And again, we're not saying profiling and targeting stuff, but there are opportunities where, you know, these governments leverage, you know, there, there are the classic espionage agents where somebody is being, you know, rewarded or paid for their services to collect this information. But in a lot of instances, people may not know they're being approached to work for a threat actor. And, and, and Director Ray talks about this a little bit. He's like, many U.S. citizens who are compromised don't realize they're working for, and he says the Chinese government, but, but really it could be any threat actor. You know, these intelligence officers often use co-opted uh, co staff from universities or national businesses to, con you know, as, as contract intelligence officers to conduct you know, to contact potential targets, develop what seems like a collaborative relationship, you know, all in the betterment of humankind. And and all, uh, actually, the Chinese are running these operations behind the scenes and, and further collecting this information. So I think when you look at director, and we've talked a lot about China in the last couple of weeks, you brought up a lot of good things on this podcast as well, Andy. You know, it it doesn't matter the country. It doesn't matter the threat group. Um, these these are tactics that are employed every day in our environments, and we need to wake up to them. You know, we need to challenge things. When we get an approach on LinkedIn, when we get somebody contacting us at LinkedIn, and they may have been, you know, 
do, do you know that person? Why would you want to connect with that person for other than legitimate business purposes? You know, does do they have any online activity in the first place? I mean, are, or are they just like a stock photo with some token likes and retweets or reshares or something like that? So I think we really need this. We could get into a whole new discussion about this type of stuff, Andy, but it really should be an eye-opening look at, you know, when you see Director Ray making these type of comments, as organizations, we should probably take those, dissect those, and apply them to our organization. So what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I mean, you, you packed all that in there, Dave, and you know, those, those are good speeches. You know, Director Ray makes, I don't know, maybe six or seven speeches a year between commerce and events, um, where he sort of puts out a good understanding of what he's looking at, what the FBI is looking at from a security standpoint. And, and foreign threats like that, you know, espionage and elicitation and things of that nature are, are always part of it. And and you got it right. Yeah, China's a big concern, but you know, so is Russia. We've talked on this podcast about you know recent corruption uh, allegations against a very senior FBI official to do with Russia. Uh, we see with China all the time. You know, I get outreach from uh, organizations linked back to China. Um, it always pause and, and question those. That's the discussion around TikTok. You know, there's there, it's just something we've got to be thoughtful about because we know that the government of China. Not, not you know, anything about the people of China, but the government of China likes to steal a lot of information from American organizations and other organizations, right? So we've got to be sensitive to that. We've got to recognize that as a real threat to our businesses, to our country, and and think that properly, take appropriate security measures, be deliberate in how we protect our, our individuals and organizations. So I think it's a really good topic. It's a good, pretty short uh, speech, I think, that he made, yeah. highlights of it, worth checking out, worth understanding always, you know, what's the FBI looking at? How do they see the threat, physical, cyber, blended threats, foreign adversary? Great, great, great thing to understand and think about as we go throughout our, our business days. All right, Andy, that wraps up round one. Turning back to you for round two. What's your second topic, Andy? All right, so you, you touched blended threats. I want to stay there. So I want to stay with a topic we, we often talk about in these podcasts is ransomware. I want to look at the city of Oakland, right? So we've seen you know cities and school systems just get absolutely drilled with ransomware over the last couple of years, few years. Oakland and California is going through a rough one right now. I think it's been about, I want to say about 10 days at this point. They've been going through a ransomware attack and just read some of the headlines. We'll include these links. Um, but, you know, one here, um, the San Francisco Business Times, Oakland cyber attack hobbles planning department blocks most building permits. Another one, Oakland Police Department warns of delayed response times after city targeted by ransomware attack. And it just further shows how a cyber attack can have all these cascading physical effects and manifestations, right? That's what a blended threat looks like, right? It's a cyber attack. It's a ransomware attack but it's impacting all these other parts of the organization and their ability to actually respond to real world incidents, right? That's significant, right? We saw a, a crushing ransomware attack on the city of Baltimore, I think maybe two or three years ago now, right? Lasted way too long, went way too far, um, struggling now in Oakland. For our public sector partners, you know, MSI stack, uh, Water Eye stack and others are reaching out and working with public sector partners and utilities every day and they're there to help and if you're not connected with them goodness connect with them right reach out ask them what they got ask them how they can help you they want to help you but you've also got to take responsibility and take those steps to uh, we were just talking about this on, on a, on a uh, podcast last week already on a webinar last week our friends at recorded future right segment your networks patch your systems practice your incident response plan have a specific plan for ransomware right there's there's known understood best practices you got to apply them, right? You got to apply them. They're out there. They're free. If, you, if you have questions, reach out to our team. We'll, we'll share 
more resources than you want on these topics, right? We can share one or two if you want to keep it simple, but there's things we can do to draw down risk. Please take necessary actions to draw down risk. Blended threats are not going away. Ransomware is not going away. We got to plan. We got to prepare. We got to be able to respond better than what we're seeing right now on the West Coast. Dave, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I, you hit it all there, Andy. I mean, there's really no excuse at this point. I think these are not you know, new and emerging threats. There may be subtle variants to those, but really the, the same common principles, the, the core foundation really needs to be established. We pound that in every week on this podcast and other podcasts, as well as in all of our engagements. It's really important just to apply the fundamentals and you'll be in a much better shape. I mean, at this stage, I mean, we've seen ransomware targeting city city governments and local governments for years now. And, and there really is, I mean, the city of Baltimore had a tremendous one a couple just a couple of years ago, and, and it really caused significant disruption. That should have been the learning point. Hopefully this will be the learning point, but um, but good good topic as always, Andy. So I'm I'm going to go with my second topic here, and I, I preluded a little bit. I gave a little sneak peek to it, talking about supply chains, <clears throat> and specifically uh, the UK National Cybersecurity Center published updated guidance uh, related to uh, protecting supply chains and understanding what those supply chains are, and understanding where um, you know it, as organizations have. Uh, should be applauded for. They've they've strengthened their their security structure. They've started blocking a lot more things. They've started doing a lot more better things, on the whole. You know, um, but as a result of that, threat actors determined, hey, if I can't go after the hardened target, I'm going to go after the weaker target. And sometimes that's in your supply chain. And, and so there's there's a couple pronged approaches to this, and I want to tie it into blended threats as well. You know, the, this cybersecurity center um, information talks a lot about cybersecurity areas and, and impacts on the supply chain and really talks about mapping out your supply chain, understanding it, because it, it sounds really simple is, you know, X company sells this good. Well, the, the, the assumption is that that company does it all themselves, and that's simply not true. Yeah. They rely on a very detailed logistics framework, a, a supply chain that may be you know, local, it may be regional, it may be national or even international. And there are, there are effects that could be targeted all along there to cause a disruption. And so as we map that out, as organizations, we need to map that out. We need to have those firm established agreements with those parties that are involved that they're going to apply and adhere to the same cybersecurity or any security standards that we as an organization adhere to. It just makes really good business practice. I think this document does a really good job of highlighting those uh, steps. There's five simple steps to go through on that. And, and, it, and again, it doesn't say about, you know, it all has to be done at once. Hey, start with the new relationships and then build out to the existing relationships and refine those agreements. And so it, that's on the cybersecurity front. But but really, when we look at the blended threats, Andy, as you were just talking about, and the other types of all hazards threats, you know, disruptions to the supply chain can come from weather events, natural disasters. It can, and, and as we saw from COVID, obviously, that's the glaring red, you know, flashing red light thing. 
Um, it can come from disease stuff. Look how much is still now just being offloaded from ports that have been disrupted by COVID. Um, but before COVID, there were measles outbreaks. There was Ebola. There's a lot of other regional outbreaks that, that could disrupt supply chains. Yeah. But if you don't map that out, if you don't understand your logistics, then you're not going to know where those impacts can occur. So, Andy, that's my topic. How do you think on that? I think it's a huge topic. I think you covered it really well. I think you know, it's one of those things that we can't necessarily pick up and fix, you know, in order right. to overnight, but it's understanding where we're trying to get to and taking those incremental steps to get there. And, you know, supply chain is a, it's, it's a big concept, right? We both spend a lot of time in the military and you know, the military understands supply chains and supply chain security very well, but it, it, it's big in that, right? Supply chains and then also third and fourth party providers, you know, whether we're talking about uh, S-bombs, right? One of our friend Jen's uh, favorite topics here. Or where they're talking about, you know, third and fourth point risk, we're just looking at a, a ransomware incident over the weekend uh, affecting the faith-based community, uh, a, a service a lot of faith-based organizations use. Right? It, it's really understanding how these things affect our organization. What does it mean to our, as we often like to talk about, Dave, right? Our people, our places, our data, our dollars, right? Are we properly thinking through protecting those areas? And so I think it's a great topic. It's a big topic. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good link you're, you're resourcing there or referencing there. We'll include that as well. And I think it's a great topic for organizations to start to think about, understand, and again, just incrementally work towards improving because we're just so dependent on one another, uh, whether it's a cloud-based system or a physical you know, component of something that we use for organizations. It, it's, it's a big issue and challenging issue for all of us. Great topic. Yeah, no, that that's a really good points there, Andy. So again, that wraps up our our second round. So Andy, this is a free for all round. So what are you going to hit us with some quick quick links here? So Dave, just, just three quick items I think worth mentioning. You know, on this uh, George Washington's holiday this Monday, uh, worth noting, President Joe Biden uh, appeared in Kiev, uh, Ukraine today. I, I suspect this might happen when the White House announced he was going to Poland. I thought you know it was just it just made sense he would pop up and you know stand in solidarity. The government of Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, you know, here in the United States right now, we're seeing some support uh, for continued U.S. support to Ukraine waning. Uh, over the weekend, we saw an interesting protest in D.C. that brought together those from the far right, those uh, of, from the far left, those of libertarian persuasions uh, protesting, you know, continued uh, U.S. support to Ukraine. You know, personally, I think it's, you know, it's vital that we continue to support you know, the freedom of the people there. I was glad to see President Biden show up there. Interesting, though, interesting as, as, this, as this war uh, from Russia continues, um, it's just worth noting. We'll share that link. A couple others. Uh, we talk about this every week. Uh, I talk about it again. In California, a man with a history of anti-Semitism uh, shot at two separate individuals of, of, of the Jewish faith, uh, Jewish backgrounds in, in California. He's been arrested. Again, a history of incidents like this. He, he pled not guilty. We'll see where that goes. But you know, certainly a concerning incident, sadly, not a unique incident by any means whatsoever. Again, we cover, you know, threats of violence, shootings, attacks against faith-based organizations and people every day in our daily paper. But just uh, worth noting that, we'll share the link from the LA Times. Uh, suspect in shootings of two Jewish men in LA is charged with federal hate crimes. Uh, we'll share the, those links. And this last one, also from the 15th, uh, CERT-EU released a report, sustained activity by specific threat actors. They dive into a few threat groups provide some good information on them. It's a good resource, something good to understand sort of what's happening in the environment, who's out there and what are they doing. Good resource. We won't get into that today, but worth checking out. We'll include that link as well. That's all I've got for today, Dave. Yeah, if I uh, good, good call out on the CERTEU one. I wanted to call that out as well. Uh, just on two other, uh, two of your earlier points, 
you know, the the president's visit to Ukraine, well, I, again, I'm a supporter of that as well. Um, I think it's really important. It does open up to potential further escalation and, and elevation of, of risk. Yeah. So I think as organizations need to look at that and understand that, again, as I mentioned earlier with the China part, if China's escalating uh, and supporting there, what, what could go there? Uh, and and what does that mean for your organization? So it's just something to think about, regardless of your pro- political persuasion. Um, and the other second part on the uh, the um, anti-Semitic activity, I think there was also, and you can correct me, Andy, but there was also a series of letters being mailed around uh, to to faith-based organizations within California as well. We've seen this tactic as yeah. well uh, to synagogues in which they're you know threatening behaviors and activities. Uh, unfortunately, this is a common occurrence within certain communities, and it's just something that we need to continue to be mindful of. And again, it, it does apply to faith-based organizations, but it, if they're hitting faith-based organizations, if you're connected in some ways, some of these groups do look for any opportunity to target against uh, you know, uh, their perceived bias. And so just something to think about if we're seeing these in some parts of the country, it could spread to other parts of the country and also it could extend beyond beyond just, you know, whatever the target was in the initial part. So, Andy, that is all I've got for today. Uh, really appreciate you coming together on this George Washington's birthday. Um, and as for our listeners, I appreciate you listening. Uh, and just be mindful of the rest of our Gate 15 podcast. There will be a nerd out uh, panel discussion podcast that'll be published again uh, along with this. So there will be a two for Tuesday tomorrow uh, or today when this is coming out. So I got <laughs> to catch myself there. Then we have Andy Jabor's Gate 15 interview, which will be coming out. And he already uh, gave a key on who that person is going to be. I'm excited for that, Andy. And we have our risk roundtable as well as Jennifer Lynn Walker's uh, cybersecurity evangelist podcast. So a lot of things to choose from. Yeah. Please t- test test it out and check us out if you're not already there. So like, review, and share as much as you can. So Andy, that's all I have on this day. Any any closing comments? No, well, just one uh, faith-based organization to touch that topic. If you're not connected, please connect with Faith-Based Dyshow or have your place of worship or charity or food pantry connect with Faith-Based Dyshow. And two, Dave, happy George Washington's birthday to you. Ah, what a great note to end on, Andy. So with that, Andy, we will bid adieu till next week.